and welcome to the show. I'm Peter Whittle. Now, I'm delighted that my guest this week is an author joining us from California. She is fellow of the Manhattan Institute, an author, commentator, and an attorney. Uh, her most recent book is called When Race Trumps Merit. Uh, it's been hugely widely reviewed in America. I'm delighted that she's going to be joining us today to talk about it. Uh, welcome. Uh, it's good to see you, Heather. It's a great honor to be with you, Peter. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, before we go any further, I do want to read out the full title of the book. It's quite a long subtitle, but it absolutely explains it, um, which is, well, of course, as we said, it is the uh, When Race Trumps Merit, but it's how the pursuit of equity sacrifices excellence, destroys beauty, and threatens lives. Um, this is um, an extraordinarily important book, Heather, I think. And um, we obviously follow events in America. Uh, it's pretty much the same here. Um, yes. I wonder whether you could actually uh, start by explaining to us a concept which runs through the book, which is something called disparate impact. Um, you know, once you explain it, I know it become crystal clear, but could you explain what you mean by that? Right. Peter, disparate impact is the concept that if any kind of meritocratic standard has a disproportionately negative effect on above all blacks, it is a per se racist standard. So we right. have in the United States uh, standardized, computer graded, objective, anonymous, uh, admissions tests to get into college that evaluate high school seniors' uh, academic skills. Right. And black students do particularly poorly on the SATs. And therefore, the SAT exam as a marker of college readiness has a disparate impact on blacks. What we have decided in the United States now that we will tear down the standards rather than say meet the standards put in yep. put in some more effort and meet the standards uh if if a medical school uses a similar test the medical college admissions test which is the medical version of our sats again colorblind objective neutral computer graded again blacks do poorly on the mcats it, the mcats have a disparate impact on blacks therefore we are lowering the bar for the MCATs. There's a movement afoot to get rid of the MCATs uh, as a way of evaluating medical applicants. Uh, this is happening. It's been going on for decades. Any kind of minimal literacy test for qualifying people for taking on firefighting jobs or police jobs, uh, there again, traditionally, you have had blacks scoring much more low much lower on those exams and so we sue saying the exams are racist and we throw out the exams this peter is a recipe for civilizational suicide we are yeah. destroying the concept of excellence we are removing incentives for achievement hard work and accomplishment and we are asking not just for mediocrity but for actual threats to human lives, whether it's with regards to the qualifications of doctors, uh, with how we do medical research, 
how we do our police training. And in the case of the criminal law system, the reason why crime has been shooting up to astronomical levels and, and we've seen record-breaking increases since the George Floyd race riots is we're also not enforcing the criminal law in the United States, Peter, because it too has a disparate impact on black criminals. So we are putting above all black lives at risk under this phony idea that any neutral colorblind standard that has a disparate impact on an underrepresented minority is per se racist. So basically you, you can't actually demur from that one definition, isn't that right? That basically a little bit like the idea of equity as opposed to equality, you know, essentially this must be the reason and if you don't have the right proportion of ethnic minority or whatever, somehow this automatically makes you racist, makes your organization racist, or that's really what you're, you're saying. That's, you've put your finger on it, Peter. Right now in the United States, the only allowable explanation for any racial disparity in any mainstream institution, whether it's a cancer research lab, whether it's a law firm, uh, whether it's a bank, whether it's a foundation, whether it's a news uh, desk, if there are not proportional numbers of underrepresented minorities there, the only allowable explanation is racism. Yeah. Uh, it's a racist test. It's a racist qualification. These tests have a disparate impact. What I hope to do is provide people with the actual explanation. We are not a racist society. Our standards are not racist. We were a racist society. America was an apartheid state. Mm. It was a white supremacist state. I have no hesitation about admitting that. I also have no hesitation in stating without qualification that that is not the reality today. The reality today is not white privilege in America. It is black privilege. I will believe in white privilege when I hear of a black high school senior applying to college who puts checks the white box in the race box because he yeah. thinks that being white will be an advantage to him in getting into college. The reality is this. If you are a heterosexual white male in the United States today, you are at the bottom of the totem pole. You will be the last considered, the last hired, and the first fired. Uh, so black privilege is our reality. I want to provide an alternative explanation for why we do not have exact racial proportionality in our mainstream institutions, and that is the academic skills gap. It is vast. Mm. Here, is, here is the sad reality, Peter, that Americans are so non-white supremacists that if they, they, they close their ears to these truths, they do not want to hear it. But this is the fact that explains why when, when you look at a, a research lab that is trying to solve Alzheimer's disease or Parkinson's or early stage dementia, it is not likely to have 13% black oncologists. Here's the reality. 66% of black 12th graders, our 12th grade is the final year of high school before a student begins college. So we're looking at 17 and 18 year olds here. 16%, 66% of black 12th graders do not possess even partial mastery of basic 12th grade math skills, which are defined as being able to do arithmetic or read a graph. 8% right. 
of black 12th graders are competent in basic 12th grade math and the number who are advanced in 12th grade math is too small to show up statistically. The picture is not much better in reading. 50% of black 12th graders do not possess even partial mastery of basic 12th grade reading skills. That means that you can have diversity, which is the goal of every single American institution today, or you can have meritocracy. You cannot have both. But right now, as you say, Peter, the only allowable explanation is racism for racial disparities. And as long as that is the case, it is all coming down. Every institution of civilization is coming down. Actually, there's, it, there's something that's happened in the news today, Heather. I, it, literally, I saw it in the newspaper about an hour before we were speaking, um, which is absolutely germane to what we're talking about. It's it um, relates to the Royal Air Force here, you know, the our Air Force. Um, so it's a matter of national security. Um, and an elite email um, basically has cut, it emerged uh, where yeah. RAF, you, you've heard about this, RAF staff no, no, instructed. I, I, just, I, I can see it coming. Please, please right. tell us. Uh, the RAF were instructed, their, their staff were instructed to stop choosing, quote, useless white male pilots. Uh, we don't have enough BAME, ethnic minorities or female. So as we don't have enough, stop doing the interviewing. This, you know, stop interviewing the whites. Um, this, is, this has been an ongoing thing with our Air Force actually, but this is just new. And I just sort of, when I saw this, knowing that we were going to talk, um, I thought I'd bring it up because of course, this is happening in Britain exactly the same thing. What I was going to ask you, Heather, there, you said it's all coming down. I, I would tend to, I would agree with you on that, on that analysis. But do you think that the people that impose, for example, you know, these particular, um, what you might call, well, what used to be called affirmative action, but I mean, what is essentially, you know, the, the hiring uh, uh, basic uh, function at the moment, do you think that they actually believe it? Do you, do you think that they really think their institutions are racist? Do you really think they, or do you think that in fact they just want to bring the thing down and so this is a good way? In other words, maybe more of a kind of outright Marxist thing. Hmm, that's a, that's a very interesting. Uh, usually the alternative for your question, Peter, is do they believe it or are they just virtue signaling and wanting to get credit from the New York Times and the Washington yeah. Post and the Guardian and the Telegraph? But your alternative is just, uh, we just want to bring it down. I like that. <laughs> That's sort right. of closer to what's reality. But first, let me just comment on the RAF. Let's just be honest, Peter. What we are seeing in society today is white culling. Uh, I write about yeah. this in the book, the, the culling of the white docents, the, the volunteer ed, arts educators at the Art Institute of Chicago, one of the great world museums, art museums. Uh, it's quite blatant. You know, the, the words are different, but I've, there's many institutions now that will simply brag uh, that we've gotten our proportion of whites down from 66% to 55%, and that's just an, a, a, an obvious good in itself. Uh, and it's repugnant, but the, the fact is, 
it would be less worrisome if the use of racial preferences and I, I reject the term affirmative action uh, which you used because people still are naive enough that they think that affirmative action just means oh we'll just do more outreach you know we'll put some yeah. job notices yeah. in a community paper uh, and make sure that we're casting a wide net but we apply the same standards no that is yeah. not what is going on here if you want to use the term affirmative action just make sure you understand that what it means is racial preferences i.e completely dissimilar uh admission standards so mm -hmm. getting into medical school today objective standardized test scores and a grade point average that would be automatically disqualifying if presented by a white or asian applicant to med school are virtually automatically qualifying you will be admitted if presented by black and hispanic uh, medical school applicants so we have almost dissimilar uh, expectations of competence. So it would be maybe tolerable if in saying we want fewer white pilots in our Air Force, if the alternatives were equally qualified. Yeah. And so yeah. you're, but, but what happens is, as I say, you can have diversity or you can have meritocracy. And if the RAF is saying it wants diversity, the chances are very high that it is sacrificing meritocracy. And it is it is willing to put in uh, pilots who are would not meet a colorblind, sex-blind test. Uh, if yeah. they would, then you know it's still it's still offensive, but the, a little less worrisome. But but really the reason for most of our racial disparities is there simply are not enough qualified candidates of the preferred uh, melanin content and gonad possession content uh, available and therefore we have to lower standards as far as whether the gatekeepers that are gleefully accusing their own traditions and their own institutions of utterly phantom racism at this point uh, i think they do believe it uh, i think that they are so committed to this self-canceling suicidal civilizational narrative that the defining characteristic of western civilization is oppression which is a, a, absurd it the west is no more oppressive and in fact much less oppressive than every other civilization on earth were we oppressive yes show me a civilization that was not did we have a discourse against oppression and in favor of equality, yes, and show me any other civilization that did. They all poach on Western concepts of, of equality, on British concepts of limited constitutional government, of citizenship, of the rule of law, of the presumption of innocence, the great tradition of due process granted the world by the British case, you know, case law and, and common law system. Uh, so, but I think you're right as well. Well, on the one hand, I think they believe it. Uh, I think that there is some weird thing going on in the West right now that is trying to just cancel itself. Yeah, I mean, I, I think what, it, what, what struck me as well about your book, uh, Heather, was, you know, I, I, I gather that you are a music lover, that you love the art, arts. Um, this is something that 
has preoccupied us a lot of the new culture forum. My own background is in the arts. Um, particularly in America, there's been this sort of outright attack. We're, we're seeing it too, but on classical music, for example, um, it seems to me that um, the reason I bring this up is because we're talking about these kind of uh, employment situations, you know, and, uh, which is one thing. When it comes to the arts, um, particularly, it appears to be the very presumptions behind the thing which are basically being attacked. So when it comes to music, you, you talk even about the idea of tonal music and the idea of uh, notation of music, all of these things. Um, very basic things, not to do with hiring people, but the actual, the, the greatest achievements of the West are the things that are most under attack. If I just use a comparison here, it's a slightly different comparison, but uh, certain famous British or English authors uh, very much sort of under attack um, and, you know, basically being rewritten with sensitivity readers and things like this. Um, it's, it's no, surely, no, well, for example, uh, we have um, uh, P.G. Woodhouse, uh, oh, Ian yes. Fleming. Oh, yes, unbelievable. You know, the, the latest one to actually get this treatment is Beatrix Potter. Uh, you know, no. these are... Yes, yes, yes. So, I mean, essentially, I'm, I think I'm asking you a couple of questions there, Heather, but um, these are the great kind of products of that Western civilization. And in your book, you spend a lot of time explaining how this happens, particularly with, say, music. And I just wondered whether you could tell us, particularly, for example, in relation to the hiring of musicians for an orchestra, uh, how that has changed. Well, first of all, if you Brits don't stand up for Wodehouse, you deserve to lose him. I mean, he is one of the great prose masters ever, one of the great masters of irony, of voice, of wit. Uh, I was so fortunate that my father read me a huge, I don't know, if every single Wodehouse novel, but most of them. Uh, I am so grateful that my mother knew enough to read me the great classics of children's literature, British classics of children's literature, whether Wind in the Willows, uh, Alice in Wonderland, Beatrix mm. Potter. Uh, mm. These were books that formed my imagination that allowed me to have a place to escape to in my self of mm. innocence, of cleverness, of irony, mm. of beauty, uh, and that they're turning now on Potter. I mean, it is utterly heartbreaking. People yeah. have to stand up for these works mm -hmm. because we will be dead without them. Our spiritual, emotional lives will be dead without them. We are, us mere mortals do not have that capacity of expression, of understanding of being able to understand Ratty and, and the Badger and Toad yeah. and, and yeah. the relationship between Peter Rabbit and, yes. and, and Mr. I don't remember his name now, but the, the, the gardener. These are, are, are almost like the Greek gods. They are, they are paradigms and, and icons of the human imagination. And the, the strategy that is used, and it's, 
it, they're being torn down by the mob that cannot create, that can oh, do absolutely. nothing but destroy. Yeah. Their yeah. only power is destruction. And as we know, that is a heady, inebriating power. Mm. People mm. love that sadistic, they love to destroy, let the mob loose and it will destroy everything. And that's what's going on. We see this in Me Too movement where females are tearing down males just because they can on, on absolutely absurd grounds that getting a pass is somehow career ending and puts your whole life at risk. BS, give me a break. Let's keep things in perspective here. What's happening in classical music is the same strategy that is being used across the arts, which is that any European tradition, because it is European and therefore is demographically white, because that's what the continent was for mm. centuries upon centuries, is per se racist. Because right now, all you need to do to discredit an institution or an individual is to label that institution or individual white, and that's all you need to know. You can see this this technique go on in the New York Times every day. All it does is need to put white in front of somebody's name, and and you've put you know the the mark of 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 Cain or the scarlet letter on that person. So in classical music, uh, your BBC magazine has been one of the worst offenders. Now they pulled yeah. back, but after the George Floyd race riots, uh, some of your columnists there were writing absolutely appalling columns saying that the only reason that we listen to Beethoven is because he was a, a white male and, and making sort of these facetious, utterly juvenile statements like, well, maybe the, the, the formula for greatness is 32 sonatas plus, you know, wild hair plus deaf or something like that. Give me a break. That's the person should have been fired on the spot. Uh, you know, I'm not going to judge between Beethoven and Bach and Mozart, Chopin and Schubert and Brahms. They all are, when I'm listening to them, they are the greatest composer in the world. Uh, but, but obviously Beethoven was absolutely revolutionary. His music was so groundbreaking that it was, you know, periodically, almost uniformly revised by publishers because they couldn't believe that anybody would dare write such harmonies. He, he expresses all of our spirit, uh, and yet they are tearing down Beethoven uh, because he's a white male. They're revising his works. They're, they're changing, changing out the uh, Ode to Joy an die Freude by Friedrich Schiller in the Ninth Symphony fourth movement ode, choral ode for, for rap music. Uh, and, and the New York Times former classical lead classical music critic during the George Floyd psychosis suggested that when orchestras audition for uh, new musicians, that they now do so in order to make sure that they can know the race of the musician by taking off the blind right now the practice is, is widespread that you audition for an orchestra slot right. behind the screen so that nobody knows your your sex, your race, your identity, whether you're you know related to some of the orchestra members or there's any kind of nepotism or favoritism going on. Uh, and, and Anthony Tomasini suggested we should de-blind auditions so that we can hire on the basis of race, not merit. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Quite extraordinary, actually, uh, the result you end up with there. The point about this, though, Heather, again, I mean, I, I asked you earlier uh, about the intentions of these people. Um, you mentioned there George Floyd. Are you 
surprised, have you been shocked or surprised by the sheer speed with which this has happened over at least this, the, what we're talking about now? Uh, we're talking about three years, really. I mean, what happened here in Britain is the museums, uh, you know all of this, I'm sure, but the museums came out with exactly the same line. The British Library decolonizing, the British Museum decolonizing, Kew Gardens decolonizing. Uh, British gardening is now racist, apparently. I mean, it goes on ad absurdum, you know. Um, I, I just wonder, are you surprised at the kind of concerted response that happened? I mean, you know, I'm not being conspiracy theorist it's, here. It's just, it just seems extraordinary that there was a concerted establishment-wide response along the very, very same lines. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, Tate Modern did this show on Hogarth yeah. and it, the, the wall texts were just absurd, you know, that there was white porcelain on the mantelpiece of, of one of the Hogarth paintings of, you know, decadent aristocrats. And so this was somehow, you know, related to whiteness and, and white supremacy and, and, mm. and whatnot. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. The gardening thing is incredible, just incredible. I, I have to say, I, I have the good fortune of studying at Clare College, Cambridge for two years. And right. my favorite memory of that was the gardens. <laughs> it yeah. was the wonderful tradition yeah. of um, those gardeners wearing tweed coats, for God's sakes, and, <laughs> and taking care of the hollyhocks and, and, and cyclamen with such, with such love. Uh, and, and I just felt this amazing tradition that you feel going back to Keats and Wordsworth with the attention to nature. Uh, and the great tradition of British romantic poetry. Yeah. Um, but in one sense, I'm not surprised because I've been following this for a long time. I'm not surprised by the speed of the response. It's been brewing in the academy and in corporations yeah. for a long time. I mean, diversity, the, the diversity consulting scam began in the 1990s. You had these charlatans. There was a guy in America named R. Roosevelt Thomas uh, who came out of Morehouse College, and he set himself as a diversity one of the first diversity consultants, and he would go around telling corporations that if they uh, put a premium on promptness, on correctness, that those were values that didn't value diversity, uh, and that the managers needed to rethink how they evaluated applicants and their employees for looking for promotions. Uh, so it's the idea that neutral standards of bourgeois behavior of accomplishment are racist has been out there for a long time. That having been said, I guess, yes, what I saw happening in the summer, June 2020 through July, August, with every single institution coming out with these preposterous, and in fact, um, somebody said that, that in the UK, you guys recently had nine hour, nine minutes of silence for the George Floyd uh, three-year anniversary to remember George Floyd and pointed out that, you know, in, in your Memorial Day moment of silence, it's like 30 seconds as opposed to nine minutes. That was the other yeah. weird thing. That is weird that globally George Floyd became, well, not globally, let's, let's be honest there, in the white world. Yeah. I don't think because I don't think Japan is part of the West and it's modernized now, but I don't think Japan has gone on the George Floyd uh, bandwagon. No, but no. Uh, the European, the European Anglo-American 
world the anglosphere certainly has yeah, uh, yeah. and it is extremely weird and it's as if things were building up and then they're just everything broke and and the degree of self-cancellation and we can add to this in sort of the literal reproductive sense with the trans phenomenon uh is is just really really insane it seems to me that you know with the with the trans uh, issue, there is a kind of attack at the, the very foundations of sense of being. You know, um, the, the, you know the, that is to, to make people uncertain, to make people feel uncertain about what they their very being is. Um, I wonder, with this, I was about to say, where does it end? Um, but I mean, the fact is, it seems to me that the this is a revolt, if you like or a movement that is top-down. It is top-down. That is what is extraordinary about it. If you, if you think of it as being a cultural revolution, it's not come from, you know, the grassroots. It's being imposed, actually, on people. This is what is so extraordinary about it. And I think that yes. America and Britain seems to have a, many similarities there, with one big exception, um, Heather, Obviously, you know British culture pretty well. Um, there's always been a hefty dose of basic self-criticism bordering on self-loathing in the British character. Not so much in the American one. And that, I think, is what is so surprising about what has happened to American culture. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. I... I Yes, there is there is an irony there. I'm just thinking I'm thinking of the 19th century British novel, you know, one of the greatest contributions to world history, whether it's yep. George Eliot or Trollope Dickens is there self-criticism. I mean, there's there's wit, there's irony, there's there's understanding. And then you think, of course, of the British Empire, which is fairly self-confident. But, I, you know, this is not my place to to uh, to question or to, to try to fully understand that distinction. Uh, I, I guess I would say part of me, you know, is sympathetic. I've been for the last couple of years, Peter, on an audible listening reacquaintance and, and in some cases acquaintance for the first time with uh, a lot of civil rights history, black history yeah. and American history through the lens of race. And it is truly shocking uh, how gratuitously cruel white Americans were to blacks for so long. Mm. And my view is, is that our narratives until recently were way too triumphalist. Uh, there's right. a famous speech that Frederick Douglass gave in 1854, I believe upon 4th of July, that is absolutely scathing, you know, saying what, there you are celebrating your, your commitment to equality and freedom. Yeah. What does your 4th of July mean to a black slave? Nothing. You know, this is absolutely mm -hmm. galling and preposterous. And he was absolutely right. And I, I feel like he was right up until very recently as well. Uh, so the, the guilt that Americans feel about that is understandable. And, you know, we've got this revised movement for reparations now and the traditional conservative response is, well, there should be no inherited guilt. You know, none of us were responsible for that. Uh, 
and therefore why should the economic burden fall on us? That's true as a logical matter. As, a, as an emotional one though, I kind of understand the idea of, of inherited guilt. Uh, and so I, I would say in one sense, if, if Americans were more traditionally confident and, and self-vaunting, that maybe a little bit of self-awareness was in, my, in, in, in order. And I frankly am still struggling with how you tell our history does every statement that is just referring to sort of the general progress of American history need a footnote, but see blacks because there was at every moment when we were yeah. rightly and, and courageously mapping out the Western continent, exploring, you know, creating railroads at every moment, there was mistreatment of blacks going on. And I can't really figure out yet how to, how to balance those. I, I haven't reached a resolution. Um, so, so as I say, part of me says, well, it's good for America to be a little less cheeky and, and go around proclaiming itself as the beacon of freedom when for so long it wasn't. But the thing is, I do think that we need to be empirical about it and say that whatever our past was, you can just look around <laughs> It is not the case. And how yeah, does this yeah. end? It ends, Peter, when people stop being vulnerable and susceptible to the race hustle. Mm -hmm. The lies that we are accepting in the name of fighting racism is just ridiculous. Like in the yeah. United States, we're supposed to believe that whites pose a threat to blacks, that mm -hmm. the existing well black is very dangerous in America because of whites that is ludicrous. Yes, existing while black is dangerous in the United States. Black juveniles uh, in the sort of post-George Floyd world are shot at a hundred times the rate of white juveniles, a hundred times. Who is shooting them? Not whites, not the police, other blacks. Blacks are killing each other off at barbaric rates. Uh, and as far as interracial violence, and I can tell you it's the same in the UK, Peter, uh, Blacks commit 87% of all interracial violence between blacks and whites and whites and blacks. A black is 35 times more likely to violently attack a white than a white is to violently attack a black. And yet our national discourse right now is that white supremacy is the biggest threat to America and that blacks are, are under psychological and physical siege from whites. We have this incredibly maudlin race narrative, bathos everywhere. It's all a lie. It's going to end when people say, you can't scare me by calling me a racist any longer. I've got the facts and here they are and the facts are not racist. Mm. I think the problem of course comes uh, with critical race theory is that, you know, it's, it's almost Stalinist, isn't it, Heather, in that they can sort of say, well, you say, I am not racist. Um, but of course, that apparently is sort of proof, further proof that you are in their eyes, you see. Um, it's a bit like the old fashioned ducking school, ducking stool we had in the Middle Ages, where if you were guilty, you, you, you sank to the bottom. But if, oh, no, no, if you survived, no, no, I can't remember, but whatever it was, it was this strange kind of total non sequitur. Non -sequitur. Right. Um, right. I think the, we've got obviously a slightly different history here. Um, but equally, for example, a lot of the narrative 
has seems to have been imported from America. Um, but, for example, your average school kid here will not be that aware that Britain abolished slavery. I mean, right. you, know, it, you know, the first country to do so, sending its Royal Navy around the world, you know, for the next 50 years, a great expense, making sure that this ban was kept in place. Um, th that was quite a long time before the American uh, Civil uh, War. Um, yeah. But in fact, our schools do not teach us. Uh, this is a great, great problem. Schools are simply not teaching it. Um, I wanted to ask, actually, you're in California. Are, are you in Los Angeles or San Francisco? or? I'm in Orange County, which is an hour south of Los Angeles. Right. And I'm in I know. Brookline. I mean, one of the kind of, you know, this relates to the book as well. Uh, one of the... Um, well, the, the most reported fact really about California at the moment is that it's in a shocking state. Um, but that also, you know, in terms of, as you say, crime, there is this now this uh, tolerance of what can only be described as a kind of low level anarchy, you know, that mm -hmm. certain crimes now go unpunished. Is that something that one gets maybe distorted um, on uh, social media, Heather, or is this something that is a, is a thing, really is a fact? Oh, no, it is barely reported the way it should be. And again, the key here, Peter, is disparate impact. The reason that we have these left-wing prosecutors not prosecuting uh, trespass, theft, you know, petty assault, resisting arrest of, of, from police officers, uh, you know, fair theft, jumping turnstiles onto the tube. Uh, it's all because of disparate impact, because when yeah. you do uh, arrest and prosecute for shoplifting, uh, you will have a disparate impact on blacks because blacks sadly commit crime at, at exponentially higher rates than any other group. That's just the fact. And, and the bodies speak for themselves. The bodies are the gold mm -hmm. standard. Uh, blacks die of homicide at gun homicide at 25 times the rate of whites between the ages of 10 and, and 24 because they're killing each other off at, at 25 yeah. times the rate. Um, so we are not enforcing the law because it will have a disparate impact on blacks. And as a result, uh, our, many of our cities are in a state of anarchy. You have you know, that combined with the mentally ill chemical abuser problem of street vagrants and the, the subways are dangerous, people are getting pushed into the tracks, uh, and, and there's just squalor, California. Not fortunately, I'm in Irvine, which is sort of one of the last good places in yeah. California, and I adore California nature and light, and I grew up here, and it's very hard for me to, to sever. Yeah. I cannot sever myself from this nature, but, but the, the will destruction of our cities is going on, and it is all completely avoidable. You can solve street vagrancy very easily you enforce the law against street colonization you just say you yeah. are not allowed to colonize streets that was the rule for century it worked yeah. uh and now w the government governments in the united states are engaged in what i call the great inversion uh they now view their primary mission as catering to the alleged interests and needs of the anti-social the dysfunctional and the criminal the, the needs of the law-abiding and the hardworking do not register on the policy-making screen of government. The, the yeah. hardworking, 
uh, taxpayers are treated basically as ATMs, as automatic teller machines. I don't know what the phrase is in Britain, but cash yeah, machines yeah, for yeah. for funding for funding the the rights revolution. Uh, it's extremely alarming. That's sort of creeping here, you know, um, this kind of, um, well, actually, we've got a sort of side, a, a different part of the same problem in that there appears to be a complete reluctance on the part of the police to actually enforce the law, um, right. you know, in, in certain terms with, um, with protests and everything. Um, well, but let me just say, I mean, you have the same thing. You had that report from the Metropolitan Police, the black guy that was killed, Stephen Johnson, I can't remember his name, but that... Oh, that Stephen whole Lawrence. Idea. Stephen Lawrence. going back quite some time, yes. yes. Quite some time. But it, it's the usual, it is the exact same strategy. And yes. just be on your guard when they use this in the UK. They will... The anti-police activists will always compare police activity to a population benchmark. And so they'll yeah. say the Metropolitan Police arrest immigrants, black immigrants, at a higher rate than whites compared to their population numbers. Therefore, they're racist. That's the wrong benchmark. The benchmark yeah, is no. who's committing crime. The police yeah. activity is predicted by criminal activity. And so you've had that as well, and, and periodically, you know, your your police leaders are saying, oh, we're so racist and we've got to back off. Um, but but I would say, you know, what's going on there is we have lost faith in bourgeois values. We've lost faith yeah, yeah. in our right to say you will obey the law. You will be self-disciplined. You will defer gratification. You should study. You should not be truant. We it's it's part of this whole suicide of the West, where we mm -hmm. are uniquely, we are only criticizing ourselves. Mm -hmm. We don't apply those same standards to other civilizations. And for sure, those civilizations are not engaged in the same self-criticism. No, no, uh, I, absolutely. Uh, I completely agree with that analysis. Uh, begs the question, you know, basically, is it too late? Are you pessimistic? Um, you know, there seems to be, I think, this kind of convention that one should look at the, you know, the optimistically to the future. But basically, sometimes, um, sometimes reality just simply has a, a way of intruding. You've given away one of the great secrets of, of public speaking and writing, Peter, <laughs> which is you're absolutely right. I hate that convention. You know, the rule is you got to leave audiences feeling, yes, we can win, you know, and don't leave them all down and stuff. Yeah. Well, sorry, guys, you know, it's very hard to be optimistic. But, you know, that is absolutely received wisdom is you got to come up with something positive and and, uh, you know, don't be don't be so down all the time. And that's very, very hard. Um, and I'm a pessimist by nature. And uh, I've been I've been observing the world on the cultural front for too long since the late 80s and i don't think conservatives on the culture front have won a single war uh it just gets worse and worse and worse that having been said um i'm actually not simply obeying the convention here against my will uh i i see little glimmers of hope in the united states where you have some politicians 
led by this Florida governor, Governor Ron DeSantis, who is actually fighting back and saying, I'm not going to fund, give you taxpayer dollars to have these utterly absurd, costly, non-necessary division, you know, lie promoting diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging offices in public universities. Uh, You're not going to use racial preferences for admissions to undergraduate education or to law school or to medical school or business school. These are very good things. And I'm, I'm chagrined that I didn't think of these very simple solutions myself. So that is a good thing. And as far as like rebirth, as ludicrous as the racialization of classical music is, and let me just say, I'm perfectly happy to hear a much broader range of composers of, of, you know, black composers that actually have been performed over the years. And what I object to with the you know, rule now that we have to have a black composer on every program uh, is the rhetoric around them. Uh, yeah. You know, I write in the book about Florence Price and Joseph Bologna, the so-called Chevalier. Uh, these are both mediocrities. I'm happy to hear their music. Florence Price has some actually some interesting piano music. I think her symphonic writing is very, very weak. Um, but the rhetoric that says that they are of a par and the only reason they haven't been performed is racism is ridiculous. People that are connoisseurs have a duty to the truth and to make good aesthetic judgments of value. But that having been said, when I look, say, just at classical music, despite the political overlay, the level of professionalism and expertise and the the unearthing of forgotten composers, especially in the early music movement that's been going on for 50 years now, beginning in Britain, thank you very much. Uh, with, you know, Handel revivals and, and, and early music revivals. Uh, there's still excellence going on. It is just operating under a pall. So if we could get rid of our susceptibility to the race hustle and stop being vulnerable to racial, uh, you know, uh, being held hostage to, to phony ideas, then there still are people soldiering away in the trenches that are kind of keeping traditions going. I would say it's mostly in the arts. As you say, education is a disaster. And I'm, I'm not surprised that British students don't know anything about Britain's seminal role in ending uh, transatlantic slavery. Of course, it didn't work in Africa and, 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 and the Arab countries. They're still enslaving with, with no oh, regrets yes. and apologies yeah. whatsoever. Uh, but, but historically, the level of ignorance among average citizens is very, very worrisome. And people, young people are not getting exposed to literature, to art, to music. And that breaks my heart. And their lives are the poorer for it. They, will, they are leading any of, any of us who do not have some artistic map of the past to understand the great drama of the evolution of style, whether it's in music or architecture or art, you're leading a stunted life. I'm sorry, I'm going to be honest. Well, I think we're very, we're very lucky, maybe as a generation, actually, to have still have the, still have had that experience, I think. Um, yes. Heather, you know, thank you so much for joining us. Um, we just have just one question for our members. So if you'd stay with us. But um, yes. thank you once again. Um, Heather McDonald there, uh, the book is called When Race Trumps Merit. Uh, it's out now, um, fantastic book. 
So uh, please do get it. Um, thank you once again, and we shall see you next time. Hello. If you're enjoying the New Culture Forum channel and you believe in our mission, may I invite you to join our membership scheme at the link below or on our website, newcultureforum.org.uk. Our work is more important now than ever, and we have great plans ahead for the future, but we can't do it without your support. From as little as £3 per month, you can help ensure that we continue on our mission. As a member, you'll receive a range of benefits, including access to exclusive content, invitations to our private events, including here at our studios, free copies of our books, and much, much more, including, of course, our famous NCF mug. If you aren't able to become a member, then please help us by clicking this button and subscribing to our channel. It's completely free. Just remember to also click the bell icon so that you can get notifications when we post new videos. Thank you. Thank you.